Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. He's on the, the slanted edge now of the roof. He's lifting himself up right by the hatch. Police have their head out the window, their arms out. They're ready to assist him in. And there he goes. There he goes into the hatchway. He's in there safely. Welcome, everybody, and good morning. What you've just heard is Gus Engelman of ABC News, the 26th of May, 1977, after George Willig had climbed, scaled, I should say, the entire length of the World Trade Center, 1,350 feet, 110 floors, and entered into the hatchway, sort of a cap on a three-and-a-half-hour climb that captivated New Yorkers as well as the world. It became headline news everywhere and took everybody's mind off of the situation that was particularly in New York with some of the economic woes. We still had Son of Sam running around doing his thing, so people were in a state of mind that this was just perfect for. And here with Bob Brown, who was the engineer on an interview that we had done with George, reason enough to commemorate the 35th anniversary, which is today, of his climb, we went to uh, George's apartment about two or three weeks later and did a live candid interview with George and also here with Mildred Tassoni, social media specialist, has been a big aid in getting the word out for the 35th anniversary of George's climb, social media-wise. And we figured we'd have a blog talk radio show today, not only for the commemoration, but to play a few excerpts of a 14-minute interview that we had later cut from about two and a half hours that we had spent with George in 1977 and makes things transparent as to why he did this and how he did it. He actually invented the devices that would go into the window-washing channels of the World Trade Center and help in his scaling of the building. So, Bob, would you like to say hello to the folks? How are you? Not That's bad. about it. And Mildred Tassoni from Mildred Tassoni Consultants. How are you this morning, Mildred? Good, very good. Um, I have some questions that if you don't answer at the end, then I'll ask them. But Sure, sure. We're probably going to play some excerpts of the YouTube video, which is uh, accessible on YouTube if you put in WTC, Unclimbable. As I mentioned, it's a 14-minute interview with George, along with Gus Engelman of ABC News. He was a reporter on the scene at the time. We were rather impressed to even get an interview with George, as I recall. And when he said yes to our, our request, it was like, wow, you know, this is, this is major stuff. Yes, it was interesting sitting and talking with him. And uh, I got the impression from him that, you know, it was he thought it was quite an accomplishment for himself. But he also had a an air or feeling that, you know, well, no big deal, and right, which right. I found interesting. That was sort of the lead-in I had on the first excerpt, leading it to Gus, where Randy, his girlfriend, saying, well, you know, it was really no big deal. We've been there about six times before. We sort of rehearsed it. George, at this point, was so obsessed with the fact that he wanted to see if the devices worked that at this point it was just sort of a release. When he started, his goal was, i got to make it to the 20th floor. Right. Because he 
knew it once it got up about that high. There was no way they were going to stop him. And he was right. That yes. was all exploratory, which is, you know, really what any good rock climber would do. They scope their uh, climb, their uh, goal. Right, their terrain. That they're out. They look at everything over so that they're thoroughly conversant with it and took him actually a couple of different prototypes of the device he used before he uh, hit upon the one that he used to get up the building. Right. So uh, he was well prepared when he started. Oh, absolutely. I uh, just want to mention that Bob had referred to the book that George wrote with Drew Bergman called Going It Alone. I had started to work with George as an agent. I was working for Marty Ingalls at the time, and so I had some sort of experience. And, you know, he just kept hearing, you've got to strike while the iron is hot. And, you know, he kind of shunned away from it for a while. And then he well, said, well, he did that. Yeah. After having listened to all the uh, tape and all, I can see why he's very happily living in obscurity because that's pretty much what he indicated uh, on the day of the interview and how he handled his notoriety. You got him some FaceTime on TV. There was well, an Esquire photo. Yeah, photo, we had him uh, on. Uh, I uh, actually talked to a fellow called Steve Lefkowitz, who was uh, NS Beanstalk agent. These guys were agents to the sports world. He suggested a few things while the iron is hot. So we got him on David Letterman, did a nice appearance there, and we got him on this thing, which I think has just been reissued, called Superstars, which is an ABC type of program that flew him and his then-present girlfriend, Morgan Brittany, down to the Florida Keys for their tournament, so to speak. This is where people that are noted in one sport will do something else, and then you compete. One of the big areas that he started doing was producing, and that's when he started working with Entertainment Tonight. And he also was in uh, sort of coordinator to one of the movies that my daughter, who's 23 years old, will say, Dad, are you kidding me? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, The Warriors? He was in The Warriors? And I go, yeah, 1979. He uh, actually, Jerry Hewitt, who is now a stunt coordinator, asked him to come along. And this is a movie about gangs in futuristic New York, and he helped with some of the stunts there. Jerry's gone on to be a very noted stunt coordinator, and I think he's just completed That's My Boy with Adam Sandler and Andy Sandberg, where he was the stunt coordinator there. So you can Never see his that. work. Jerry Hewitt spells his name with only one R. So you can see it at the end of a movie if you ever see a stunt coordinator. Anyway, you know, there's, there's so many little yeah. six degrees of things that go on. Let me play a little something that gives you an idea of what it was like when George had made the climb and how it sort of struck New Yorkers. I'm going to cue it up right here and see if it plays for us. Uh, traffic had practically come to a halt in the area because everybody had heard about it or they just saw, you know, when you're driving along and it was amazing. I had um, I was driving down um, uh, Chamber Street. I think it was around Chamber Street, uh -huh. and uh, all of a sudden I saw cars just stopping as if they were rubbernecking at the scene of an accident, and everybody was just looking up and looking up, and everybody walking down the street stopped. I guess a lot of people were late for work that morning, because <laughs> everybody was just looking up, and it was uh, you know it was uh, it was an amazing sight. Nobody was moving, traffic wasn't moving. Everybody was just looking at this figure climbing the uh, the building, and I guess it appealed to the well, everybody's imagination, everybody's feeling of heroics. Boy, I wish of luck, Godspeed. I mean, everybody was just caught up in it. They just got involved. Exactly. I guess it's something everybody dreams of doing, and here was somebody actually doing it before your very eyes. He didn't appear to be the cold, calculating guy who figured, hey, I'm going to be a hero overnight. I can't wait till those TV crews come and what have you. We seemed to duck the publicity. He wasn't looking for it. That's one aspect of what was going on. I want to just play another little clip here. 
of uh, what the media was doing. I think it's on uh, 612, so I just want to be able to bring it up. This is from the 14-minute video that's on YouTube. It's really an audio interview. It's interspersed with some graphics that had George had given me just so it could play on YouTube and be a video. He's also the recipient of the second Isaac Newton Award for Defying Gravity. Kind of cool. We right. eating donuts? I wasn't eating a thing. I don't know. If people color up the store, they have to make yeah. them look human, so I have to eat up there, you know? It's rude donut, I think. Yeah, right. I could have worn a Van Heusen shirt, yeah. dragged a big pen on the side That's of the building. And catch uh, yeah. sneakers, and it would have been going <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Drank 7-Up, then yeah. Coca-Cola on the next floor, you know? Oh, my God, man. People can't really uh, cash in on illegal acts for advertising, I don't think. Right. And that was an illegal act. It was. Well, well yeah. there are no laws that say you can't climb a building. I, I was given a uh, summons that said... On uh, un unauthorized climbing of a building. Mm. Not to mention the uh, criminal trespass, the uh, fare that you and endangering, reckless endangerment. Yeah, that you beat for the uh, elevator ride to the uh, top of the world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I paid a dollar ten that suit that lawsuit from the city is a dollar ten, which is even less than the, the elevator fare. Cheaper than Empire State. That's a bargain. Yeah. So that's part of it, giving you an idea there. Oh, the other part was uh, Gus Engelman going into how the people had gotten caught up a little bit in that. Oh yeah, I mean Mayor Bean must have been thrilled that he could have that he could show his face in front of a bank of microphones and television cameras and report to New York. Yeah, remember too. New York in the face without going over the uh, lousy news, economic news that was. Uh, oh yeah, you know, this happening this is the by city. the way, you know, just to give people a perspective, this is when President Ford. I think the Daily News. Uh, no, somebody else held up the newspaper of uh, Jerry Ford's quote saying. New York dropped dead. It was the final straw. Son of Sam's out there doing his thing. And uh, now there's a chance for Mayor Beam to come out somewhat of a good guy because the initial fine was about $250,000 that was levied against oh, yeah. George. Everybody in his, in his throng would say, That's, this is not good. This guy is like a hero. And oh, yeah. then he, and he, he changed Beam, it to a dollar ten. Uh, well, Beam never was going to impose a fine like that. No way. He knew this was good press. And it was, you know, and, and George had a way about him. It's just a, a sort of a matter-of-fact type of listen. I didn't do this for any other reason, just to see if these devices did it, see if it can be done. I was just going to point out the other thing, that Willard didn't even really care what they did, what the city did to him for that. Uh, I mean, true, there is no uh, law saying you can't climb a building. However, the hoopla that happened when he did it, you know, and all the expense that the city incurred with fire department, police, helicopters, the traffic jams, and all that jazz, naturally, the city officials are probably sitting there going, all right, we want our pound of flesh. Yeah, I Willard see, you know. felt, okay, great, I just want to do it. Yeah. And if you want to come after me, well, that's fine, because I got nothing. And he didn't, get, he didn't give a darn, which, in fact, I was just listening to that this morning on the uh, raw tapes. Yeah, he pretty much, uh, he didn't care. He just wanted to do it. All right, you were going to do a clip. Yeah, let's do that clip of Gus, and here we go. Another example of how people really got caught up in this story and really felt for this guy was the following day when he showed up at City Hall. If you recall, when Mayor B made the announcement that, ah, heck, the city ain't going to sue him after all. They're just going to charge right. him. What was it? Uh, uh, a penny a floor, whatever it was. And the fine was a dollar ten. But when he arrived at City Hall, everybody stopped work. All the secretaries in all the offices in and around City Hall, which is a very large building, as you know. They got up, they left their desks, left their typewriters, 
applauded him, looked, you know, he was like a movie star in the eyes of all those female secretaries down there. As he passed by each desk, they applauded, you know, Google eyes, they asked for his autograph. Even the, uh, the so-called jaded veterans of the political scene, all the reporters that have been covering politics and covering City Hall for years and years, they work out of a room down there known as Room 9. When Willard came in, they all left their typewriters, and they all ran out because they wanted to see this guy. Sure. And, you know, I mean, these reporters are used to seeing royalty, you know, heads of state visit the mayor, you know, at City Hall. And I don't think they had that kind of a gut feeling for um, visiting heads of state or visiting royalty as they had about George Willard. He just seemed to affect everybody in, 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 that, in that kind of vein. What were you promoting? Nothing. Device? No, you I don't care if, any, if anybody saw me or not, really. Yeah? You just wanted to do it. You just wanted to do it? Yeah. <laughs> devices, I, just, I don't think, have much commercial potential, if any. Just, there might be six pe buildings in the world that have those kind of channels on them. Sure, right. I was I'm sorry, I'm willing to work with the fire department, uh, maybe coming up with um, something that might be of use as a takeoff from this. I don't know what it would necessarily be, but I think maybe we could work together on that. That would be nice. Definitely. It would be something that's good, something positive. So there you go. Perfect recap of what we were talking about. Really didn't care. I mean, oh, yeah. enough that nobody got hurt. For a little bit of personal information on this, that George's brother was getting married soon, uh, a week or so, and he didn't want to be in jail for that. So he's hoping that wouldn't transpire. But his brother said, listen, this is the time for you to do it. Don't worry about me. You do what you have to do. That was pretty cool of him. He wanted to, he just wanted to do it. And I understood that because, well, I, I, as I've said to you before, you ask a mountain climb, well, why do you want to climb Everest? Because it's there. And right. As both of us have seen in the book and such, there was a time when he came back from a trip west. He was standing with a few friends in, uh, I forget what park, in uh, downtown Manhattan, and they were looking up at the trade towers, and George pointed to it and said, you know, one of these days somebody's going to climb that thing. And I think at that point he knew it was going to be him and that he wanted to do it. Seeing what the actual tracks were. The tracks, uh, and that's when the spark happened, when he realized that, most of the tracks started at the third floor. Well, how do you get up there? Except for one panel of the tracks that were on the side of the building. They went from the ground the all the way right. up. And on once he corner. noticed that, he had uh, images of doing this with, with suction cups and whatnot. I think some guy did the Sears Tower that way. But that, he felt, was a little bit scary. And uh, yeah. once he realized that his device would go, or the one that he would make, would go right into the window washing channel, baby, this was it. You know, this was right. his way up, literally. And those tracks were only on the corners of the building. Correct. And it was very quickly after his climb that they went and took him out. <laughs> yeah, he did wind up traversing from the corner to somewhat the middle. The window washers came down. They were getting kind of close to it. Well, to clarify that, there were on each corner of the two towers, there are two tracks that run from the street, the sidewalk, all the way to the top. Only two. And he started, I believe, on the right-hand track. And By the way, when this he's, is the south tower he was climbing. Right. And when he saw the scaffold coming down with the two cops, he traversed, as you said. What he did was he simply went to the other track, and that put him far enough away so that they couldn't reach out and grab him and all that sort of thing. 
Right. A little trepidatious at the time because he was taking it out of one track and going into another. And he really only had two tracks, both for each feet and for the hand. So there's a point there that he had to be very, very concentrated on what he was doing. But he he's an old pro at it from all the other uh, climbs he had done in the four years prior to that. Right. The only difference between this and the mountain was he'd try to find a crevice to unleash the clamp which would go yeah. out just, just the way it did with the channel. But, of course, it's, it's a more gnarly type of thing, and it grabs but rock. In a, but in a lot of ways, I think those tracks were probably even safer than some of the rock climbs he did. Oh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, he didn't put it as one of the most uh, prestigious climbs he's ever done. He's, he's, he's reckoned that with some of the things that are overhangs, right? Anybody that's been on the World Trade Center, especially the observation deck, knows how impressive this is. So... You know, uh, aside from oh, which, I, yes, I always is. think that Philippe Petit walk across the two towers was far more impressive. But unfortunately for Philippe Petit, it was hard to see him, and there was no television coverage. So right. the, he had something afterwards. But I mean, talk about how they. Um, I remember there's a there's a piece on PBS, I think, or maybe even YouTube, where the, one of the cops are talking about when they went up and uh, intercepted him after he made one of the back and forths. I think he did it three or four times from one tower yes. to the next. And I think both of those uh, feats, both George's and Philippe Petit, were plaques that were on the uh, windows of the world, I believe, afterwards and displayed there for many years. The uh, towers were only erect for about 27 years, 28, 27. I think one was built in 73 and then 74 they were completed, right? Uh, I'm fuzzy on that. Let's go to Google. Right? So, Mildred, you seem to have been out of the loop on this, literally out of state when this was happening. And, right. And he, I don't even really remember it, but... Well, you're what? You're 36? Oh, no. That's someone else I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> uh, I found it interesting that when you were talking that they did practice runs, so did he go up the side before? Or he they just scoped it out? Uh, scoped it out. He went up about 10 feet, he said. Even then, they had some security there. This building was up for 27 years. has a lot of memories to a lot of people. Everyone gathered around to watch and listen, perhaps as they did with Lindbergh's flight or uh, man's first walk on the moon. And as hard as that is to believe, again, there was no CNN, no Internet, and this was word of mouth. And the fact that it had three and a half hours, to put stuff together, it was just channeled to where it, it hit Europe, it hit Asia, and people were fascinated by it. They just wanted to have him make it, you know, climb it, climb it, climb it, and it was kind of neat. Not to get get off track here, but the ribbon cutting ceremony was on April fourth, nineteen seventy three. Okay. Now, didn't okay. the North and South Tower have different dates? Well, uh, okay. Eh, cripes. Uh, let's see. Oh, come on. Where's your research value? <laughs> it's right in front of me, but I'm um, searching. Well, we don't have to go for the minutiae. But yes, the topping out of uh, number one tower took place in 1970, and number two was topped out in 71. But as I said, the uh, ribbon cutting was in 73, which means that was when it was officially all together and open for business. Right. And at least right. that you had mentioned uh, us not forget that the offices themselves were magnificent. I had some business in uh, number two, and I had to take a few elevators to get to where I wanted to go. But the, the, and the elevator system was quite complex. You would take one elevator up to around the ballpark, 
where the offices you wanted to visit. And then you transferred from that elevator to another elevator, which covered a 10-floor section of the tower to get to wherever you were looking to go. And when you got out of those elevators, when you got up there, like in the 60, 70, or 80-floor range, you know, the doors open and you're just stunned by this beautiful vista in front of you. And the offices in those buildings were unbelievable. Just nice high ceilings, just just beautiful. I'm just trying to cue this up to where George had talked about how he got the title for Unclimbable, where he had said at that point that these buildings were listed as unclimbable. And it's it's funny because in the climbing world, it's like, uh-huh, do you want to dangle that carrot a little bit closer? Oh, please? yeah. The minute uh, a rock climber here is, you know, unclimbable, they say, oh, well, then I just have to yeah. climb it. You know? <laughs> Let's see if I'm I can just... Yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can just bring this up. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to do it as much as George wanted to. I just think it's, well, I climb with him, so I climb. I wanted you to have a passion to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't take you. Mm-hmm. The grips, were they like brake shoes, more or less? Kind of like work like brake shoes. They, just, they clamp on and they... Yeah, when you pull down, we just clamp and squeeze, you know, the channel. What I did was more unprecedented. It's never been done before, climb a building that looks unclimbable. And the winds, you know, like the winds weren't that high, and they were that 20 miles an hour the way they were coming around the building where I was. But in reality, they're probably, in a free space, they're probably maybe 10 knots or so. Let me go back to Gus. You, you get an idea. There's one area he talks about while he's up there. There's three helicopters that are almost in front of him, and he starts to wave at them. And they're waving right. back, and it was like, whoa. Doesn't this guy have any type of fear here? He says, hey, he was pretty well secured. Yeah, right. But, yeah, uh, I can see you. You can see me, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. <laughs> That's right. <You> know? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't know how much more we can talk about other than asking Mildred what her questions were, and hopefully we can answer these questions as best we can. <laughs> well, yeah. One thing I was wondering, you know, he invented things to climb it. Were any of these things that were added on to window washer standard equipment type? Yes, he he did at one point offer the fire departments of the five or six buildings in the in the country that had these type of window washing channels. And uh, I don't know if he got any headway with them or not. Well, it, certainly it went was nowhere. To consider. It went nowhere, and I'm probably uh, putting myself out on a limb, but to the best of my knowledge, I think the trade towers were the only building in the Manhattan that had those tracks in them. So it was everybody kind of looked at it and said, well, the applications of this, it, it, there was no excitement about it. Right. Yeah, and that's the other I get thing. a little I mean, note even here. If, even if the trade towers... Even if the owners of the trade towers had issued these uh, cams, these climbing cams, as uh, standard equipment for the window washers, you know, they'd have to train them and Well, the only that thing I thought thing. there is if anything should happen to the window washing platform. And if that's the case, they were at least secured one more way. And I'm sure True. if you're up there, you want something. I mean, you can get, I don't think you get blasé ever. Tom, will you put in our Blog Talk Radio uh, section on Pinterest, will you put the links for your video um, also on Facebook, you know, any other material that you have? I think that would be a good idea. Mildred's been extremely helpful in getting the word out, as I mentioned, on a social media level. And there are so many areas that you forget about. There's, there's Twitter, there's LinkedIn, the new guys in town, I guess it's uh, Pinterest which gives you links to pictures, most notably to YouTube and Google+. So there's about five or six 
big players out there to get something like this if it can't go mainstream, broadcast, let's say, on how to get it viral. And we're trying as much as we can. We found that our previous shows on Blog Talk Radio gets five, six hundred, seven hundred people a week. I think it's an interesting concept that you've mentioned to try and put some of his interviews, if you can find them online. If they're on YouTube, you could just post the link to right where Correct. he is. Correct. Yeah, I think we'll do that as more uh, time goes by to commemorate the day and the event and people want to check in on that. Uh, we've been trying to do certain things with our tags on YouTube. And really the only reason we even brought it up with the 35th year and all that is just to put something out connected with the trade towers to remind people, just something light to remind people that, hey, these were beautiful towers, amazing things happened on and in the building. If nothing else, for one day, George got a lot of people's minds off their troubles for one Absolutely. day. And the fact is, it was on a Thursday back in 1977, the May 26th. But people, when they got together that weekend, boy, you bet you they were talking about, hey, did you see that guy that climbed that thing? Wasn't that something? Yeah, yeah. And prior to that, it's been, oh, geez, Son of Sam. Is, I heard he was in Huntington. He was at that discotheque. Was Son of Sam, did he get caught that year? Yeah, Son of Sam was imprisoned on 1977, so they got him that year. August? Uh, yes, he was arrested in August yeah. of 77. Uh, back to George on our last three or four minutes here. All righty, we're going to cue this up here. Uh, the crowd was being held back on the sidewalk area. They were not allowed on the, the promenade, so to speak, you know, surrounding the Twin Towers. Uh-huh. I guess a lot of people were late for work that morning. Because everybody was just looking up, and it was, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was an amazing sight. Nobody was moving. Traffic wasn't moving. Everybody was just looking at this figure climbing the... Uh, the building. Did you really think you were going to get arrested? I thought I might very yeah. well have to spend maybe 60 days or whatever. Didn't didn't matter. Yeah. Not 60 days. I thought I'd spend some time in jail maybe. And when you Even came down, your mind must have seen all these people there with all the cameras. Did you uh, did you expect well, I started, that? I started uh, expecting that because like when I started climbing, you know, I was up like 20 floors. I started hearing sirens going and stuff. And <laughs> I figured, well, there's got to be fires and. Uh, Right, crimes going on anyway, but a lot of them were going off. We figured, well, maybe half of them were had to do with me climbing the building. And I saw a commotion. I saw some fire trucks come, you know, and I saw them blocking off with police lines. And I saw people, you know, I looked down and see what's going on. You got a part there, give an idea of well, what was transpiring from his end. But that kind of is wrapping up our show here for today. Just to recap, it's the 35th anniversary of George Willig climbing the original World Trade Center South Tower on May 26, 1977, and he started early in the morning, wound up being a a three-and-a-half-hour climb. He was arrested, released, fined, and then re-fined. I guess I had the math wrong there. It was a penny a floor, so the total fine came out to $1.10, and uh, is now pretty much living the life that he wants to. (laughs) Total anonymity. uh, Yes. We're hoping he gets a chance to hear this and relive a little bit about what it was like after his invention, after his climb, and 35 years later, you know, where are we today? With me here is Bob Brown, my engineer that was on the uh, actual interview with George a few weeks after the climb in his Hollis, Queens apartment, Mildred Tassoni, who's a social media specialist, and uh, I think we got about, what, a half a minute to go here, Mel? Right. You do have a board for um, George and the whole climb, I would assume. We're going to be so putting one up just to have some of the pictures that are okay to put up there. And my YouTube channel is Tom Clifford VO. I can also be reached at tcandcompany.com. Mildred, if you want to do a shout-out to where you can be reached. 
Uh, you can all my information's at Pinterest.com forward slash Mildred Tissoni. And of course, Whatever. George's book again is uh, Going It Alone with uh, Drew Bergman from Doubleday. Bob, any shout outs to where you can be? Uh, well, looking? I got nothing to. Well, I got nothing to plug, so I'll just say bye 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 bonds. <laughs> okay, all right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Of course, this is taped, so you can re-listen to it at any time. And certainly uh, check out our YouTube channel with WTC Unclimbable for the 14-minute interview with George soon after the climb. I appreciate everybody being here today so early in the morning. Have a nice Memorial Day weekend, and you'll be seeing us on future shows. Hopefully, uh, we're doing one with the New York Racing Association and Joanne Adams coming up to the Belmont Stakes. June 9th at Belmont Park. It looks as though it could be a triple crown. So uh, that might be something for you to listen in on. Thanks again and happy trails. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.